We are in Philippians 4, 6 through 7 this morning. It says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can be seated. Good morning, everybody. And happy new year. Welcome to 2022. Hopefully you celebrated well. Um, My household, I got a bunch of littles, so we got in bed early, and that's a good way to start the new year is extra sleep. I don't know if I'm any more rested, but uh, it felt good to get in bed early. So glad you guys are here. This is the right way to start the new year, in case you're wondering, is in church. So we are glad that you're with us this morning. Uh, I'm Nate. I'm on the team here at North Coast. And um, I feel like every single year, it's like when the year ends, you're like, man, thank God that year's over. It was crazy. It was nuts. And that was very true of 2021. And I don't know about you, but after reading that scripture, I'm like, yes, I could use a little bit of that supernatural peace that passes all understanding. I could use that in my life. Is anybody else with me? Like that would be a beautiful thing. If I could have that in 2022, that would be amazing. And I think we can all relate this, this supernatural peace that we can't conjure it up inside ourselves. We can't find it out in society as Christ followers. Uh, it's divine. There's something supernatural about it. We don't fully understand how it works, uh, but we're going to dive into that today. How do we access this peace that transcends all human understanding? Uh, how do we actually access that. So we want to jump into that today. Um, I think we'd all agree we live in something called the age of anxiety. Uh, That term was first coined by a gentleman, A.W. Auden, all the way back in 1948. So quite a while ago, he looked around in society and said, oh my gosh, anxiety is everywhere. And that's probably more true today than ever before, right? Uh, We look uh, just in society, one in five, I think it is one in five Americans are clinically diagnosed with anxiety disorder. So 20% of our population, that's the clinical diagnosis for anxiety. And then there's the rest of us who we walk around with with this just constant hum of anxiety in our world. We can't shake it. It's just part of our culture. It's almost become socially acceptable. We just live with anxiety. Um, I was talking to a neighbor friend of mine, a guy I, I live next to, and he was telling me about his, friend, or his kids. He's like, yeah, I've got two great kids right now, high school and middle school. They're doing great. Grades are good. They're, you know, extracurricular activities. Couldn't ask for anything better. He's like, but they struggle with this one thing. Uh, he said anxiety. They both have anxiety. He's like, it's so bad for my daughter some days, she can't even get out of bed and get to school. And I'm just like, like, I don't remember that being a thing when I was a kid, but that's even, even youth, you know, are wrestling with anxiety. It doesn't matter what age or stage of life we're in from kids and students. Um, you've got young married families with kids and working people, working adults, retired, empty nesters. I mean, it doesn't matter where you are in the stage of life. We all live with this sense of anxiety. It's everywhere. And I want to identify one of the causes, or, or talk about one of the causes of that anxiety. There's multiple going on in our world that, that bring that up in us. But I would say one of, the, one of the primary contributors to that anxiety is our hurried, busy lifestyle. 
We live at a pace of life that is not sustainable. We all feel that, this just rush that we're always in. Um, if you ask someone, you know, common greeting is like, hey, how's it going? How are you doing today? What's well, one of the most common things you hear from people? They say, I'm busy. I, you know, things are great, but I'm busy. I got so much going on at work, all these new projects and clients, or at home I got all these kids that I'm just one activity the next. We're always busy. We're always hurried and rushed and moving on to that next thing. And it's almost as if um, busyness in our culture has become like this symbol of status. Have you noticed this? Where it's like if, you, if someone says, I'm busy, now it's almost like we're saying we're important. Like when I'm busy, it means I got a lot going on. I'm a, you know, I've got a busy schedule. I'm an important person. It's kind of like this measure of success in, in our culture. And uh, it has, you know, culture always hasn't been that way. Decades ago, the measure of status or success was leisure. Remember that? Some of us have seen it in movies or read leisure. It's like, I'm on the tennis court. I'm playing golf. I'm sailing. You know, I'm reading a book by the, by the beach. Like, that was status. That's when you'd made it. But nowadays, the higher you climb, the older you get, the more busy you get. Right? We all have that sense in, in, in us. Um, for me, there's these um, indicators in my life, and we all have these, that kind of like they're blinking lights saying, Nate, slow down. <laughs> You're moving too quick. Slow down. And uh, one of those is um, I know if I'm you know, too busy, if I'm in, at Costco and I'm in line, you guys ever done this? And you're like constantly looking at like, okay, which line is going to go the quickest? Does anybody else do that? And then you like, you like run over, you cut off someone and you get in line with your cart. And then the other line that you were in, they check out before you and you're like, I'm going to be five minutes late to my next thing. You know, like, I don't know if that's just me, but it's like every time, like even in traffic, like what's the shortest line? I'm going get, to get in the shortest line. It's like, slow down, man, where you got to be. Uh, another one for me is if I check my email first thing when I wake up, it's an indicator, slow down. I'm living this hurried, stressed out pace to life. Another one is a to-do list. I love making to-do lists, check the box. Um, is anybody else like a to-do list person? You're like, yes, I'm with you. Here's something, though. I don't know if you do this, but on my to-do list, every now and again, I have, like, it says, like, make another to-do list about something else. That's, like, what I'm, like, I have a to-do list on my to-do list. I'm, like, okay, this is, this is too much. Like, slow down, man. What, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to accomplish? So these are these indicators in my life, like, slow down. You're moving at a too quick of a pace. And the problem with this, this pace of life is, you know, one, it produces anxiety in us. We talked about that when we live this hurried pace to life. It produces all kinds of anxiety. But secondly, it destroys relationships. It damages our relationships when we live this hurried life. Uh, theologian Thomas Merton described it this way. He described hurry as a type of violence, which if you're like me, you're like, that's pretty strong language for just being busy or being in a hurry. Pretty strong language, but he said no. He said, hurry kills relationships. If you think about it, a relationship takes time. Love takes time to develop and to cultivate, and hurry does not have time for that. He said, hurry kills our joy. Right? Our joy. It takes time to get out there and enjoy and be present and be focused on the people in our world. Uh, 
Hurry does not have time for that. It kills our joy. Um, I know for me, some of the worst moments as a father are when I'm in a rush, when I'm in a hurry. I'm just moving, and my kids are trying to keep up. And uh, one instance in particular is when I go to pick up my daughter from school. Every now and again, my wife lets me pick her up from school, which I don't know why, wives, you let your husbands pick kids up from school. I think it's a bad idea. Like, every time I'm like, she gets out at 2.20, I'm like surprised, you know? Like, that's the, that's the pickup time? My wife's like, it's been that way for six months, Nate. You know, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. I can't remember the pickup time. Is anybody else like that? Or is it dads? No? Okay. Yes, it's like 2.20, and I can't, I can't get it in my head. So I get to school, and I picked up my daughter, Rue. There's a picture of my daughter, Rue. She's in first grade. And, um, and the scene at picking up kids from school is just madness. Talk about like a little microcosm of how we live the American life. And first grade, and I'm getting, you know, I'm in my car, and there's these moms in their big suburbans, like, cutting me off. And I'm like, whoa, you know, like, and then I'm going too slow, so the guard's like, move quicker, man, what are you doing? You know, I'm like, I don't know. It's, you know, what time is it? I don't know where I am. And then there's, like, kids crossing the roads everywhere. And then there's these things called e-bikes, which are just, don't get me started, just nuts. Like, fifth and sixth graders just motoring around on these things. And you're dodging those kids. And so the scene, it's just so busy, so chaotic. Like, door opens. I, like, eye my daughter. I'm like, get in the car. Let's get out of here. Go, 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 you know. Did you get your lunchbox and your backpack and your mask and all this stuff? And so she gets in the car. It's like door shuts, and I'm getting out of there. Didn't hit anyone. So that's like a miracle. Start driving down the road. I'm like, we made it. You know, we accomplished another day of pickup. And then my daughter's yelling me in the back, Dad, you forgot to buckle me in just like, I'm like, oh man, you know, deal with it. Buckle yourself. You know, like I don't, you're in first grade. If you don't have a buck, no, I didn't say that. I, I pulled over. I pulled over. You don't have to call CPS. And I buckled her in. Um, but those are those moments, right? We have them where you're just moving so quick. Couldn't you remember to buckle my daughter in <laughs> leaving school? Cause I'm just living this hurried, rushed pace to life. And I would argue that as we head into this new year, one of the biggest uh, hindrances to our relationship with God is living this, this hurried, busy pace to life. So what is the antidote? What is the antidote to this stress and this hurriness that we all feel in our lives? Um, how do we reduce anxiety? And the answer is we live with margin. We create space. We create margin in our lives. And we've, we kind of understand this concept with money. A lot of us have run into this with money, right? There's those times where you overdrew uh, drew your bank account, you maxed out your credit card, something broke at the house, you don't have money to cover that, and it cr creates all kinds of stress in your life. So with money, many of us have learned, you know, you have emergency savings accounts. So when your hot water heater breaks, it's like, I, got, I can pay for it. I can cover that. Maybe you got some money for vacation and for college set up. So you've got all these things in place with your resources, your money. And what does that do? It brings the stress a little bit down, right? A little bit down. You have a little bit more peace when you build margin into our finances. And so time, our time is way more valuable than our money. Non-renewable, you can't get more of it, can't get it back. But we can apply the same concept of margin to our time. And so let's take a look at that in the scriptures. 
Uh, this isn't our idea. This is, of course, God's idea. And he sets this out, uh, this concept of margin with the Israelites. So we're going to look at their story for a moment. Uh, we meet the Israelites there in Egypt. They're in slavery under Pharaoh, and they are working nonstop, 24-7. They are nonstop work. They're building bricks. They're making buildings. Uh, and this is the life that they're used to for 400 years. This is all they knew. Generation after generation, this hurried, crazy, frenetic pace to life. Let's read about Exodus 1. It says this, So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Patam and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So they're stressed, so they have babies. I don't know if that's a good strategy, Israelites. To me, more kids means more stress, but whatever, okay. So they have more babies. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and work them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar, all kinds of work in the fields, in all their harsh labor. The Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Not a good picture, not a life I would want, right? They're in slavery. Obviously, we're not in slavery, but if you think about it, we almost have the same work cycle, this 24-7 nonstop work cycle. If, you, if you're in the business world or even if you're at home, you can if you add up all the time for a business person, all the time that you're working, from the meetings you take, the text message and emails you send from morning all the way till night, maybe the traveling that you have to do, the podcasts you listen to, the books that you read. I mean, add it all up. And we are nonstop. Our pace to life is just, it's like the, it's like the Israelites. We're just nonstop. But the life that God wants for us, of course, isn't that. He, doesn't, he hasn't designed us or wired us for that kind of lifestyle. That's an American cultural thing. Uh, it's not what God wants for us. So let's look at what God, the system that God set up. He calls it something, we call it margin in our finances. He calls it Sabbath, a principle that he set up from the very beginning of time and beginning of creation. He wired it into us, and it's called Sabbath. It's the antidote to this hurried, stressed out pace of life that we live. Exodus 20 says this, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, all that is in them. And then he rested on the seventh day. The Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the Hebrew word here for Sabbath, it means rest. Uh, It can also mean to cease or to stop. To completely say, no, enough is enough. I'm stopping. I'm resting today. That's what Sabbath means. It's this refusal. It's this push against the flow in our society that says, I'm not going to produce. I'm not going to consume today. I'm going to rest. Theologian Walter Brueggemann said, Sabbath is an act of resistance. So again, really strong language. If hurry is an act of violence, Sabbath is this act of resistance, pushing against that hurried lifestyle. Sabbath is saying no to more stuff. It's resisting that urge to consume. Saying no, enough is enough. Uh, Sabbath is saying no to more activities. 
don't know about you, but my calendar, it's like full, just more and more and more. School, friends, hangout, activities, saying no to your events on your calendar. It could even be, and go with me on this one, it could even be saying no to achievement. Achievement. It's not a bad thing. I'm not saying achievement is bad. It's a good thing. But in our society, we've praised it as like, that's the best thing you can do is climb the ladder, get ahead, achieve more and more and more. What if Sabbath means don't take that promotion? What if, that mean, what if that's what it means for you? Um, I have a buddy. His name is Joe. Uh, he's retired now, but when I met him, we were doing some work uh, with Unite, an organization in town, and um, he was volunteering with us. And when I met him, he told me his story, and he said, I started out at a tech company here in San Diego. Um, I was an engineer. You know, I was working for this company, and he's like, I moved up to middle management, spent some time there. He's like, and then they moved me up to executive level. He's, he was at the executive level for a while, and it was great. He was really good. He was using all his gifts and his talents that God had given him, making a difference in his company. Uh, He's making more money. Everything was good, but he didn't have any of his time. The higher you climb, the more time you give to your company. And so he looked around and he said, I don't like this. (laughs) I don't want this lifestyle. I've got young kids at home. Uh, They don't see me. He's like, I don't want this anymore. And so he took this Sabbath thing really seriously, and he went to his bosses Uh, his executive team, and he said, I want a demotion. I don't want to quit. (laughs) You know, I don't want to retire. I just want to be demoted. Can can we do that? And they're like, what? No, like, who asked for a demotion? (laughs) Like, that's not a thing, you know? And so they literally, they didn't know what to do. They had to, like, look out payroll and benefits and, like, how do you demote someone, you know, by request? (laughs) Like, how does that work? They somehow worked it out, and he went back to middle middle management, that 9 to 5, 40-hour work week, so he could be present with his kids and his family. And that's how he finished his career. He retired um, at that level. It's an extreme example. I'm not saying that's for everybody, uh, but that's an extreme example. Maybe on the other end of the spectrum, it's just Sabbath for you is just putting your phone away for 24 hours. I know that's the one for me. <laughs> Sabbath, I mean, if there's one step I can take, it's like lock my phone up for a whole day and don't look at it. That would be a really good thing for my own life. So where where are you at on that spectrum? What does Sabbath mean for you? Um, This principle, this six and one, six days of work, one day of rest, Sabbath, it's even true in the marketplace. There's companies that practice this. Is there one that comes to mind? What company takes a day off? Chick-fil-A, right? So that means, from a business perspective, they're not earning for 52 days a year. How are you supposed to keep up with your competitors when you are not earning for 52 days a year? Well, come to find out, uh, Chick-fil-A is number three in overall sales behind McDonald's and Starbucks, and they're number one in customer service for the last seven years. Even though we're mad at them because we can't get our chicken sandwiches on Sunday, somehow... They still have really high customer service ratings. I don't know what that is, but but here, I mean, the principle rings true even in the marketplace. They they're saying no to the general flow of society. Grow more, you know. Be open more. More hours. More work. And they said, no, actually, we're not going to do that. We're going to close our doors. Still, one of the most successful companies in the fast food world. And so maybe there's something to this principle. Maybe there's actually something to. Uh, this Sabbath principle that God laid out for us. 
But I think at a deeper level, Sabbath, yes, it's about rest. It's about reducing anxiety in our life. Uh, but at a deeper level, it's about trust. It's about trust. Do we really trust God with our lives, with our resources? Do we trust that he will provide no matter what? And so it's a trust issue. But what if, what if I run out of money? You know, what if I don't have enough money and I, I can't put food on the table for my family? And so that fear drives us to overwork. Or what if, you know, what if I don't hang out with that, those, that couple I just met where, you know, met at the soccer field and, you know, we, we got their number, like we need to hang out with them. So that pressure of, will they like me? Well, you know, I need to, this people-pleasing thing, it, it causes us to overschedule on our calendars. Another one is this fear of, what if my kids aren't successful? So what do we do? It's like more AP classes, more tutoring, more activities, more, more stuff in their life. And the truth is, they're going to live with you till they're 30 anyways. It doesn't, <laughs> you know, like, it doesn't matter what college they go to. Um, they're with you for a long haul. That's, that's, the, <laughs> that's the reality we live in. But we overcommit our kids too, right? It's like, you got to do all these things. You got to achieve, 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 get ahead. Go to the best college. I'm not saying that's bad, <laughs> but it's something to look at. What, what does Sabbath mean? Are we really trusting God in all these areas of our life? Well, for the Israelites, they were no different. Um, they struggled with this as well, really trusting God that he would provide for them. Um, God rescued them out of Egypt, out of slavery. They're in the wilderness, supposed to go to the promised land. That didn't happen for a while. Um, and so they're, they're asking God, like, hey, you know, in, in Egypt, at least they gave us food. Like, we worked a lot, but we, we had food on the table. Where, where's the food, God? Like, what are you going to do here? Um, fair question. And so God gives them quail in the evening, right? And then the morning, uh, they go outside and they're walking around. There's this, like, white, flaky material on the ground that they're supposed to collect. And they, you know, they're walking around. They're like, what is, what is this? Like, we've never seen this before, uh, which is, that's the word manna. Uh, manna actually means, what is it? That, that's the technical term for manna. So here's this bread, this flaky substance. They're supposed to gather and eat it, and that was a symbol of God's provision, right? It, it filled their stomach, and it was God providing. It was the first time that we ever had Wonder Bread. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good, cheesy Christian joke. Put it in your back pocket for later. Uh, it's Wonder Bread, manna, you know? Like, where did it come from, God? Uh, so God provides. He's abundant. Yes, he's there to fill our, their, their tummies, provide for physical needs. But deeper, he's saying, Israelites, do you trust me? Like, I got it. I'm the creator of everything. <laughs> like, I can provide. I can meet all your needs. Let's read about it in Exodus 16. It says, six days you are to gather it, the manna. But on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So he's just saying, guys, I got this. <laughs> Trust me, I will provide practice Sabbath. 
I don't know if you guys have heard of these areas in, um, in our world called blue zones. There's a book about this. You can read online. Have you ever heard blue zones? Okay, so blue zones are these areas of, I, don't, I forget if there's five or seven different like pockets of, of a community of people who live longer than the rest of us, the rest of humanity. They live significantly longer. And so you can imagine scientists dig in and be like, okay, what the heck are they doing? How is this possible? How are you living longer? And uh, we have one of these blue zones close to us. It's, uh, as you can see on there, Loma Linda, California. It's not Carlsbad. I'm sorry. I wish it was here, but we're obviously not doing something right. I don't know what it is. Uh, Loma Linda, who, what type of group, what people group lives in Loma Linda? Seventh-day Adventist. And so they looked at this group of people, and they live 10 years longer, in general, 10 years longer than the average population. And some of you are like, I don't want to live 10 years longer, you know, like, good for them, like, I don't care, I'm good. Uh, but that's, like, that's, you know, that's significant, that's, that's, like, real. That's not correlation there, that's a big number. So they dig in, okay, what's going on? As you can imagine, multiple factors, one of them is a plant, predominantly plant-based diet, eat lots of vegetables, all right? Another one is they, uh, what do they do? They don't drink coffee or alcohol, so right there, I'm out. I don't know about you, but um, on the coffee, I like coffee. So I, you know, that would be, do they even have any fun? Come on, people, coffee and alcohol, like, but so yeah, no coffee, no alcohol. And then the other one is they take, they practice Sabbath. They take Saturdays off 24 hours. They don't work. They don't do house projects. They get outside. They interact with their friends. They're in God's nature. They're enjoying the abundance of what God has already given them. They hit the pause button. They say no to more, 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 and they, they put a pause on that busy pace of life. And uh, I did the math on this. I don't think there's anything to this, so I don't want to read into it, but I thought it was fascinating. If you do the math, so 52 days off a year, right, times, let's say, a 70-year lifespan, that equals 10 years of extra life. So literally, every day they take off is giving them a day of life. Obviously, it doesn't directly work that way, but fascinating that this rest thing, like, it's powerful, it's real. Sabbath, it's what God wants for us. He wired it into us from the beginning of time. Well, I want to fast forward and look at now the life of Jesus and how this plays out in his world. Um, so we know Jesus, he's walking around this planet, he's, he's doing all these miracles. People are like, wow, who is this guy? This is incredible, he must be God. There's this one scene where he shows up and he's teaching all the people on this hillside um, for hours and they begin to get hungry. They're hungry and so the disciples are like, we have to feed them. And so Jesus gathers fish and bread, he multiplies it, he's able to feed the 5,000 people there and everybody's in awe and wonder, oh my gosh, this Jesus person must be God. Look at this incredible miracle he did. He filled our stomachs with food. He fi- I mean, that's incredible. This, this must be God. And that's true. But then he pulls the disciples aside later, and he's, there's a scene where he's sitting with the disciples, and he's explaining that miracle, and he's like, you guys, it's not just about the food. Like, like yeah, yeah, the physical thing, like, I'll meet your needs. He's like, at a deeper level, it's about trust. Do you trust me? Do you trust that I will provide? Let's read about it in John. 
So there's that scene. Jesus is telling the disciples what happened on that hillside. And he says this, our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread for heaven, from heaven, but is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And so for us, if you felt tired, stressed out, hurried, uh, overwhelmed in 2021, then let, and you want to step into 22 with a sense of peace, let that supernatural, transcendent peace that only comes from God. And I think the answer is we practice Sabbath. We practice Sabbath. We, we cease that crazy flow of life where culture keeps saying more, more, more. And we say, no, we're going to trust God. He will provide. And we're going to practice Sabbath. Well, the band's going to come out and uh, we're going to take communion together. And so if you've got your communion cup, uh, if you didn't, go ahead and raise your hand and we'll, we'll bring those around to you. Got a few people that need need a cup. Awesome. And so for the Israelites, uh, this, you know, this bread, it was this manna, it was this thing that filled their bellies, right? But at a deeper level, God's saying, do you trust me? It's a lesson. Do you really trust me that I will provide? For us, uh, this, this bread, it represents the body of Jesus, that he would go to such great lengths, even death on a cross for us. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he's willing to do to provide and to care for us, both spiritually and physically. So can we trust God? Yes. That's what this represents. We don't have to earn more. You don't have to keep climbing that ladder. You don't have to do more. You don't have to acquire more. We can actually slow down. We can actually take a break. We can actually trust God with our time, and he will provide and so as we sing this next song, I'll leave you with a couple questions just to reflect on. How will you practice Sabbath this year? What, what does that look like for you? Is it as extreme as Joe in, in quitting or taking a demotion? Is it locking your phone up? Is it getting outside more? What, what does Sabbath mean for you? And then how will you delight in God's abundance? He's already given us so much. How will you really plug in and delight into the things that he's already given? Let's reflect on that.
I think it's interesting that uh, before Jesus went to the cross, if it was me, uh, I'd be running around crazy trying to put all my business in order, right? Trying to talk to the right people, you know, put everything in order before this event happened in your life. But what did Jesus do? He didn't do that. Uh, He practiced Sabbath. Right before he went to the cross, he gathers his 12 best friends Uh, The 12 disciples, they get in a room and they just party for for a long period of time. They drink wine together, they eat together, they tell stories, they reminisce, they laugh, they cry, they just hang out, they delight in God's abundance. Jesus trusts that his God, that his Father has everything taken care of. Even though he knows what's coming, he can trust that his God is good and his God, his Father will provide. And so he just enjoys the moment. He just fully delights in God's abundance. He practices Sabbath right before he goes to the cross. And so for us, as we take communion today, you can go ahead and take out your little, this actually looks like manna probably, this little white flaky substance here, the bread. So as he's sitting down with that meal with his disciples, he holds up bread and he says, you guys, he's like, this is my body broken for you. They didn't know what he was talking about, but he's like, when, when you eat this, remember me. And for us, he's saying, I've provided everything you need. Trust me, trust in my abundance. And that's what this bread represents for us this morning. Let's take the bread together. And then he does the same thing with the cup. He holds it up. He tells the disciples, this is my blood, which is shed for you. When you do this, do this in remembrance of me. This is his blood shed for us. He went to such great lengths for us, even death on a cross. We can trust him with our time. Let's take the cup together. Well, God, we just thank you (laughs) for what you did for us on that cross, Lord Jesus. We can trust you. You are the provider of everything. You're the creator of everything. God, we surrender our time to you. We let go of control. We don't have to earn more, do more, or achieve more. You've done everything for us. God, help us to just surrender that and to truly practice Sabbath, to truly take rest. Enjoy the people. Enjoy what you've given to us already. Lord God, because as when we begin to do that, we're going to experience peace. We're going to have this supernatural, unexplainable peace in our lives, which we could all use. And as we go throughout our days and our year, uh, people are going to look at us and the whole world's going to be on fire. I hope not, but most likely it's how this this earth works. And people are going to look at us and be like, how do you have so much peace? How are you so calm and content in the moment, even though everything's going crazy right now? And we can look at them and just say, you know what? It's, it's God. 
It's, I can't explain it. It's this supernatural peace that comes from my creator, my God. God, we want that peace. Help us to build Sabbath into our life, whatever that looks, looks like for us, God. Help us to do that this new year, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.